morning. My name is Bill Young, and my wife and I, Stephanie, attend here, and I have the double privilege of leading the passage that Rick is going to be speaking to and then praying for us. We're in Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30, and I'm reading from the message, which is a version of the Bible. Are you tired? Worn out? Burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you that you chose to speak to each of us in a different way. Thank you for this morning. Lord, you know what each of us needs and where we're at. We corporately come before you to worship you, to thank you, to respect you, and ask that you would help us to put aside the week, the holidays, the year behind, the year ahead, and to focus in on the words that Rick is going to share with us. We pray through the power of your Holy Spirit, Father, that your words would come alive to us. Thanks so much for each person that's here. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Thanks, Bill. It is so good to see each one of you. I'm so grateful that you chose to come on this very first Sunday of 2016. You know, I'm wondering if you have ever been offered a deal that you can't resist. Now, I do think if you say no, I just know that your house and your garage are filled with those deals. Okay, I, I just do. But last week, Sharon and I had the privilege of being offered a deal you just can't resist. Some of you know that we had the opportunity to go down to Florida this last week. My son Josh and his wife Julie and their family invited us to their timeshare at Dustin, Florida. All right? And what happened was an unbelievable time. I mean, realistically, it was warmer than you had it here. It was rainier than you had it here. And we had the ocean the whole time. Actually, it was a great family time, and I appreciated it so much. But when we were checking in the timeshare, well, the receptionist came to us and said, Hey, do I have a deal for you? Now, some of you know where I'm going. Okay. 
But if you go in any timeshare place, they're going to want to sell you timeshares. So they said to Sharon and myself, hey, I'll give you $125. Yes, $125. I'm thinking, that is a good amount of money to sit through a mere two-hour presentation of timeshare. So we said, yes, sign us up. Well, the next day is our time to go into their office. And lo and behold, Sharon and I get ushered by, well, it looks like the big cheese. In fact, we found out it was the head salesman. In fact, I'm going to call him Timeshare Sammy, okay, for my story. And Timeshare Sammy brought us back to this office, and he started to give us the spiel. It was unbelievable. Rick and Sharon, if you would invest $15,000 over, well, invest very quickly, but over the next 10 years, you realize you can go anywhere in the world. You can have absolutely the best spots. And it's just a very low monthly fee. And Rick, you will just love all this. Well, I'm starting to think a little bit here, you know. And I'm looking at my wife, and she is like this. <laughs> now, I don't know if you have the whole wife looked down yet, but I'm going, you know what, I'm going to have to persuade her. This is a deal too good to pass up. Do you imagine for just mere, you know, $800 a vacation, we could just do anything and go anywhere. Well, timeshare Sammy leaves the room. And at that time, is a very godly man. I looked at my wife and I said, let's pray. So we prayed for wisdom. And an amazing thing happened. God spoke specifically and directly to my wife. And said, no. I said, okay. I guess no is the answer. You know, as I went back, I, I wasn't new at this. This wasn't something that I hadn't even gone through before. I had said no many times. We've enjoyed all kinds of things at timeshare presentations. But I thought, maybe I've been tired. I've been weary. There's a lot of things happening in my life. There's a lot of things going on. And, you know, that sounded really good. In fact, it sounded like a quick fix. And because of that, uh, my judgment was a little bit messed up. You know, I look around and see that our culture is tired, is scurrying, is wanting direction and trying to find rest. And every once in a while, you get a quick fix. But we find out that vacations or breaks from the norm don't satisfy that thirst. Neither does entertainment or even swimming in the ocean. But Jesus has an answer, not just a quick fix. What do you say we open up God's word and see what Jesus has to say about rest? Father, we come before you. We, we recognize that, that life is complicated. I don't think any one of us, Father, think that we know it all or, or can figure it out. Lord, things seem to happen quickly. We get confused. And we need you so badly. 
Father, I pray that the words that you teach us today will transform us. It will rock our world. I pray, God, that each one of us leave this place different because of the promises you make. We pray these things in your son's amazing name. Amen. You know, we're going to spend some time in Matthew chapter 9, 10, and 11. And if you would, would you open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 9. We're going to start off reading in verse 35. Jesus traveled through all the towns and villages of that area, teaching in the synagogue, then announcing the good news about the kingdom. And he healed every kind of disease and illness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them, because they were confused and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. He said to his disciples, the harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest, Ask him to send more workers into the fields. Christ looked around, and he saw some tired, weary, discouraged people. His heart literally was broken because he knew this was not how it was supposed to be. Jesus traveled around announcing the good news of the kingdom of God. He basically said this, you are looking for a king to restore and mend your broken bodies and hearts. You are looking for a king to bring order to the chaos in your life. You're looking for someone to bring you rest. You're looking to a king who will bring significance to yourself, who will give you direction, who will give you a reason to live. And then he basically said, wherever he went, I'm that king. I am the one who will be able to Give you those things. Your life can count. You can make an impact. You can even enjoy eternity. You see, Jesus ushered the kingdom in and established a new way of becoming God's people. You see, Christ's generation was thirsty, but they didn't know how to quench their thirst. If Jesus were around today, my guess is he would look over our congregation and he would say, oh, you're weary, you're troubled, you're tired. Life is at a hectic pace and you need rest. Basically, as he looked out of the people that he was speaking to, he saw them as sheep without a shepherd, confused, helpless, aimless, harried. But then he said something rather odd at the end of this text. He said, hey, disciples, the harvest is ready. He said, but the workers are so few. He said, pray to the Lord who's in charge of the harvest. Ask him to send out harvesters at this moment. It's very interesting. He said, the people are so ripe for the good news. The people are so ripe to hear what I have to offer. They've been under the tyranny of Rome. And for hundreds and hundreds of years, they've heard that the Messiah was going to come and bring life and hope and fulfillment. And the Messiah is here. 
I want you to be part of the solution. People everywhere I go are right. People everywhere I go, Jesus says, are ready to hear this good news. I want you to go and proclaim this good news to others. You're part of the solution. Go. And then in chapter 10, it just follows, right, right in the very next verse, Jesus called his 12 disciples together and gave them authority to cast out evil spirits and to heal every kind of disease and illness. And then he picks the 12 and gives them some further instruction in verse 5. Jesus sent out the 12 apostles with these instructions. Listen to this. Don't go to the Gentiles or the Samaritans, but only to the people of Israel, God's lost sheep. Go and announce to them that the kingdom of heaven is near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cure those with leprosy, and cast out demons. Give as freely as you have received. Jesus gives his harvest hands power and instructions before sending them out. He literally tells them to go back to their neighborhoods. Don't, don't go into all the world at this moment, but go to, back to where you grew up, to where you live. And I want you to do some amazing things. I would like you to announce to them that the kingdom of God is here. I want you to heal the sick, raise the dead, cure those with leprosy, cast out demons. You see, I came to restore people in our world and creation. And you are going to be the harvesters. And what I'd like you to do is go back to all those folks that you know and give them this message. They're ready. They're, they want to hear this. They've been waiting to hear this. This is great news. This is good news. So after some more instructions, the rest of chapter 10, we get to chapter 11, verse 1. When Jesus had finished giving these instructions to the 12 disciples, he went out to teach and preach in the towns throughout the region. Very odd. I, I, not exactly sure, but it seems like the disciples are going doing their thing. And Jesus is not modeling for them at all. Jesus has sent them out, and so he decides to go back to the cities in the region. And he starts giving the same message out again. The good news, and people are responding, and crowds are gathering. And if you would, as he's speaking to these crowds, no disciples around. Chapter 11, starting at verse 28. Jesus said to these crowds, Come to me, all you who are weary and carry heavy burdens. And I who give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear and the burden I give you is light. Picture this. The crowds are around. Jesus continues to teach and to share this good news. But he says this. I see you are weary. Literally, this is a word that means beat up. 
It's a word that in that culture would be used for a soldier who had been out to war fighting the enemy for a day or for a week or for a month or for a year. Just ragged, just tired, just barely making it. It was also a term that be used that would be used of a wrestler. Well, not MMA as we know it, but it might be pretty close. Where they're in a ring and they fight hard and long and exhausted, they crawl out. And Jesus said, this is what you look like to me. Life is rather hard. And it says, it looks like you're carrying some heavy burdens. And the word literally that is being used here is used of cargo in a freight, freighter, a giant boat. He's saying, you look like boats that are overloaded. You have so much to carry. He says, I see you're tired. And I see you're burdened. They were tired. Life was hard. They were exhausted. You know, we are tired. Life is hard and exhausting. Then Jesus says this, come to me and you will keep getting refreshed. Literally, again, it's a little hard to understand the English part here, but this is a huge command. This is not a suggestion. Hey, by the way, if you've got nothing else to do, why don't you come on, we'll hang out, have some coffee, and things will be good. That's not the tone. The tone is, come. I almost command you to come. You're so tired, you're barely making it. Come to me, and keep coming to me. Come to me every minute. Come to me every hour. Don't make this kind of an odd thing. Make this a regular practice, a rhythm of your life. Come to me. And I will, the promises, keep refreshing you. I will keep encouraging you. I will keep helping you not only move forward, but thrive. Basically, Jesus was saying, you're tired because you're doing life on your own. You are doing it by yourself. And then Jesus said something odd. He says, take my yoke and put it on. Or literally, lift up my yoke from the ground, put it on, and we'll do life together. Well, you know what? They knew what a yoke was. We didn't. In fact, I, I enjoy reading the message at times because it uses language that so many of us are familiar with. But if you notice that Bill Young read this text out of the message. It made a lot of sense, but it had no mention of a yoke, only because none of us really know what a yoke is. Now, for me, I'm a whole lot more familiar with horse yokes. I had the privilege of uh, being the head wrangler at Silver Birch Ranch for about five years, and we trained horses, we led horses, I broke horses, but one of the things I never did even though I knew what it was, or, or knew what I had to do, was train a team of horses. Because training a team is a whole lot different than training an individual horse. A person who trains a team needs to help the horse wear a collar. And again, we'll leave this up here. You can come and, and, and hold this, but this is quite a heavy one. 
Now, this is probably the ugly one, too, okay? But this is what Ophars would do. They would put on this collar. And what they would actually have to learn is to walk, eat, run, trot, and do everything together. Turn left together, turn right together. Usually the lead horse didn't have a problem with the team. You always had a problem with the follower horse. Now those aren't exactly the right terms, but I think you get it. In a team, there has to be a lead horse. And they would both wear these yokes here, this collar, and they would pull the wagon with one of these, all right, and they would be hooked up and the log or the wagon or the cart or whatever then would move forward. Now, a, a team is so very, very valuable. In fact, a team is way more valuable than a single horse anywhere, okay? Now, some of you see teams of horses pulling beer wagons that are like, uh, you know, uh, 10 or 12 of these unbelievable Clydesdales. There's still only one lead horse there. I don't know if you know that. Okay, and everybody gets its signals from that lead horse. So it's really important at least to understand what Jesus is saying. He didn't say, let's put a yoke on together, we'll decide who's going to do the leading. He said, you're tired, you're weary, you're carrying heavy burdens. You know what I'd like you to do? I'd like you to yoke up with me and do life together. Now, the truth is, is that the folks back in Jesus' time was a, were a whole lot more familiar with a yoke like this. It was a yoke for an oxen or a yoke for mules, all right? It wasn't as fancy. But the whole idea was this, is any time someone would say, hey, let's yoke up the team, you'd put your animals together, there would be one lead person. And what would happen, as you can see, is the... Can you go to the yoke, please? Yes, that one. Um, the oxen here, you'll see the farmer there is basically prodding the follower, not the lead oxen. Because, again, the lead oxen will do whatever the farmer wants to do. The follower just needs to listen. And when that happens, the team is unbelievable strong, unbelievable productive. I mean, these animals literally... and really animal rights people don't get mad at me, but they could work 12 or 14 hour days together. This was not something unusual, it was not mean, but whatever they did, if they were plowing, if they were hauling, whatever it is, it was something they could do productively together. So Jesus, audience, understood. But one of the things I think that Jesus did, which we may not understand, is that the Pharisees also used a yoke. And they talked about the yoke of the law, and they talked about all the burdens. And, and so really what Jesus is saying, most of you listen to, well, the Pharisees. Their yoke is heavy. Their yoke's unbelievable. You will never, ever, ever be able to live life with that yoke. My yoke that I'm offering you is life-giving. The yoke everyone else is offering you is not. Now the problem is, and the people understood completely, if you're going to be yoked up with Jesus, that means you had to listen to Jesus. That means you had to do life with Jesus. That means you had to bring Jesus wherever you went. 
It wasn't just an occasional thing. But it was life together with Jesus. Life is hard, but really what Jesus was shouting that it is better. It is horrible to do life alone, and it's horrible to do life with two oxen or two horses that don't cooperate, always fighting, always trying to go their own way instead of listening to Jesus. He emphasized this by saying this, learn from me. Let me teach you. I am a humble and gentle teacher. Again, in light of that culture, they understood completely. The Pharisees were harsh. You often heard after Jesus got through teaching, this was different than anything that I've ever heard. Jesus was amazing. Jesus was able to put life in perspective, and Jesus modeled what he was teaching. He says, then you will keep finding rest. Then you will experience a restored life. Then you will literally stay glued together. He says, my yoke is easy. Or in some translations, and again, and, and so many plaques and so on, you, you would read this and say, since when is work easy? I mean, I want to be called to rest. I want to relax. I, I don't want to actually be moving all the time. This sounds like a lot of work. But what Jesus is saying is that my yoke is easy to put on. And once you put it on and you experience my leadership and you experience my authority, you experience my power, as you walk through life, all of a sudden, all the chores, all the different things that are happening, the normal stuff looks different. This was so refreshing. It was refreshing 2,000 years ago. And it was refreshing today. The truth is, each one of us probably need a whole new definition of what rest is all about. You know, the promise of rest for God's people is nothing new. Um, the author of Hebrews spends chapter 3 and chapter 4 of Hebrews realistically trying to define what this rest is. What life with God actually looks like. And we know that back about 4,000 years ago, that God promised rest to the Israelites. You know, if you recall back in Numbers 13 and 14, it's probably one of the two chapters in the whole Bible that just is so very, very sad. The Israelites, as many of you know some of that history, they were enslaved. I mean, things while Joseph were around were really good. But Joseph died. And the Egyptians, of course, made all of Israel slaves. Well, eventually this guy Moses came along. And he led them out of Egypt to a place that God promised them. It was called a land filled with milk and honey. Again, not something that's real attractive to us, but what God was saying, I'm going to give you fresh milk. I'm going to give you sweetness, things that you have never even understood. I'm going to give you abundance. I'm going to give you more life than you can ever handle. That's what I'm going to do. But you have to cross the Jordan River. So Israel marched to the Jordan. And Moses, as many of you know, sent out 12 spies. Ten of them came back with a rather negative report. 
He said, no, I don't know what God was talking about, to be quite honest. All right. There are walled cities there. There are giants in the land. I don't know how we're going to take care of this. This is crazy talk. Let's not do it. When two guys, Joshua and Caleb, came back. And they basically said, you know what? God is with us. Let's go. You can't believe the fruit over there. You can't believe how wonderful of a place this is. Let's go for it. God's promised it to us. All we have to do is listen and obey him. Well, you know what happened. They didn't listen to Joshua and Caleb. And God got angry and said, okay, I offered you rest. I offered you life, and you chose the desert. We look back at this and say, that is absolutely crazy. Who would do that? Well, the truth is, I think that every one of us do that. See, God's rest was not easy street. God's promised rest was an adventure with God. You see, God's promised rest is his presence in the land of walled cities and giants. But Israel missed out. If you turn with me to Hebrews chapter 3, looking at verse 19, the author writes this, So we are able... Excuse me. So we see that because of their unbelief, they were not able to enter the rest, the promised land in Canaan. And if you go back and you read Hebrews 3 and you read Hebrews 4, you're going to see all kinds of different rests. There's different meanings. But this one is basically saying, you know what? Israel chose not to believe me, not to experience abundant living. They chose the desert. And that's where they ended up. Well, right after this, in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 1, this is what the author writes. God's promise of entering his rest still stands. So we might ought, so we ought to tremble with fear that some of you might fail to experience it. For this good news that God has repaired this rest has been announced to us just as it was to them, to the Israelites. But it did no good because they didn't share the faith. They didn't obey those who listened to God. Oh. The promise of rest, abundant life, of living with God still stands for every one of us. The opportunity we have to experience what God intends for us is available. We don't have to exist. We don't have to just live life every day exactly the same way. But we can miss it. We can miss this abundant life if we are not living our life with God. There's an interesting term in this verse, and it's called tremble. And I don't know how many of you have ever trembled in front of somebody, begging them to make a certain choice, perhaps. Your voice quivering or cracking. Maybe you even get down on your knees. Please, don't go this direction. Don't make this choice. Don't go down this road. Do you understand? It's going to destroy you. It's going to wreck. It's going to bring havoc in your life. Now, some of you quiver when you give that advice because you've gone down that road. And you know what destruction it is. 
But the author of Hebrews is literally saying this, is that do you understand that you should tremble with fear if you don't enter God's rest? If you think you can live life apart from God, do you understand what you're going to miss? Now, we look at Israel's history, and we basically say, whoa, they were kind of dull. Why did they choose the desert versus abundant living? Well, they did because abundant living looked scary. Walled cities looked scary. Giants looked scary. All these different things, they just plain looked scary. Now, God says, I'm walking with you. I'm going to care for you. I'm going to help you go through those rough spots. But you need to walk with me. In chapter 4, verses 6 and 7, the author of Hebrews continues again to, to badger us almost with these words. So God's rest is there for people to enter. But those who first heard this good news failed to enter because they disobeyed God. They did not listen to God. So God sent another time for entering his rest. And that time is today. God's saying, yeah, there's good history. Yes, we recognize that some people called the Israelites didn't exactly take advantage of this promised land stuff. But what I want you to know is that this rest is offered to you today. You are able to experience life in spite of the walled cities and in spite of the giants, in spite of the difficulties. I'm going to offer you my presence. And so in verse 11, very odd way to end this little text here. So let us, or therefore, in light of all these different things that are going on, the author says this, let us do our best to enter that rest. In other words, work like crazy to enter the rest. And this isn't like working like crazy at work so you can go on vacation for a week. This is like, this is so valuable. Don't take this casually. Work hard at living life with God. To be in his presence. To come to him daily. Because, you know, most of us are like, well, poor followership oxen or horses. Even though we're yoked, we like to do our own thing. Jesus, that way, isn't really the best. Jesus, really, I don't think I should do this. Jesus, the pace is a little bit slow. Can we kind of pick this up? Jesus, why are we waiting right here? Jesus, that looks like a big hill. Let's go over here. Jesus, and we keep talking. Now, we're not ever going to say we're smarter than God. We're not ever going to say that, that Jesus' pace is wrong. But we live like that so much of the time. So therefore, let us keep diligent even make haste to experience God's rest, or we will fall. We will fail. We will be tired. We'll be weary. We will go through life the best we can, rather than living abundantly. You see, you need rest 
and restoration. You need to live with the king. You need his presence and his purpose. Because if we're just plain honest, we aren't smart enough or have the energy to live life by ourselves. Jesus knew that and offered some good news. My question to you is, how will you respond to Christ's invitation today? Will you come to Jesus? Will you live life with Jesus? Well, some of you are saying, well, it sounds good. I can try this. It's 2016. I, I, I know this thing. I, I have some regrets. I have some things I'd like to try. But, but, whoa, if I could really live the way God intended this next year, how, how do I do that? Well, some of us probably make it a lot more complicated than it is. But Jesus is inviting you into a relationship. Literally, he wants you to be yoked up. Isn't that unbelievable? He wants to be yoked with you. The creator, the king of kings, the Lord of lords says, I desire a relationship with you. I want to be part of your life. And most of us, it blows our minds because... You know, we can only have really, what, six or seven? The study show us unbelievably good, tight, close relationships. And then maybe you can have another 15 or 20 relationships that are kind of casual. And then after that, we all implode, you know. But God says, no. I want to be yoked up with you every single day. It's an invitation. It's an offer by God. And it's to all of us. Truthfully, he wants a relationship. And I can answer this question. How do you develop any relationship? Anytime you want a relationship, you have to spend time with that person. You know, I mean, every once in a while you'll read a book about a long-term relationship or you'll hear a story about a long-term relationship. And, and the truth is, those aren't actually the best relationships. I mean, maybe some of them can work out eventually, but you can't stay long, I mean, at a distance and have a relationship forever. So basically, what Jesus is inviting each one of us, hey, let's hang out together. Let's be yoked together. We need to establish it and then nurture it. We need to put it on the calendar. We need to get help. In fact, you may not even understand some of the roles of our staff or our pastors or our group leaders. They're not pastors or staff or group leaders because they're just the greatest people on the planet. They are there in order to help you on the journey. You will hear me say that often as we open up our worship time together. Hey, we, we want to encourage you on this journey. We want to help you stay connected with God because we know life apart from God is hard and despairing. But life with God is full and has fulfillment. You see, we need to listen and do life together. Live in a life that matters with few regrets. It's being on mission together, but it all be begins with coming to Jesus. If some of you read the weekly, you, you recognize that this next week, 
I'm going to have an opportunity to go up to Nicolay Bible Institute. And the class that I teach is called Spiritual Disciplines. And there's 30 college students up there. And I spend a week just really sharing with them how to connect with God well. Well, they come into the class thinking again, okay, I'm going to give them all these exercises. And, and if they do all these different things, you know, at the end of the week, they'll be so connected with God. They, they will just like be super Christian. Well, the truth is this, is that so many of these college kids, in spite of their environment, in spite of where they are, they don't know God well. I spend the first day and a half talking about God, how wonderful God is, how gracious God is, how much God desires to have a relationship with them. So after the first day and a half, they begin to recognize, hey, maybe it's worth connecting with God or living life with God. You see, so many of us, again, don't take the time to begin or to nurture this relationship with God, it starts there. Why did Jesus say, hey, come, keep coming. Make this a pattern. Make this a normal rhythm of your life. Come to me, come to me, come to me. And things will begin to change. You'll begin to think differently. You'll begin to act differently. You'll learn from him. You'll be more humble, less arrogant. You'll be kinder, more loving. Things will be different, all because you're yoked with the king. It all begins there. You know, many of us know what living apart from God brings. We do. Maybe we're too busy to pick up the word. Maybe we're too busy to just be quiet and listen to God. Maybe there's some things that our life are just so out of control. And we end up every night exhausted, crawling into bed, getting up the next day, and hopefully having a good, productive day. But living life with God means that he gives you direction. He teaches you how to talk to the cashier. When your kids are at the, um, you know, when, when you're at the end of the rope, because your kids are just not, well, kids are acting like kids, you know? How do you respond to that? How do you talk to them? When you've been cut off in traffic and you and Jesus are yoked. It's amazing how you speak differently. All right? Certain gestures just are alleviated in life. And that's what Jesus is saying. Come to me. This is not a burden. This is life-giving. Stay with me. I'm going to teach you. We're going to do life together. The team together is so much stronger. Those hills that you see, they're nothing. Those valleys we have to walk through, it's not a problem. The discouragement, the disappointment. Do you realize if we're walking together, it's unbelievable. You gotta get to know. You gotta come to Jesus. Every minute, every hour, every day. If you're struggling there, let's talk. Let me connect you with certain people. 
Get to know our God. Make that some kind of a priority. And then as you walk through life, and he gives you different assignments, or he turns left, and whoa, I'm, I'm doing life with God. I'm making a difference here. I, I, I'm empowered to do this. I get up in the morning. I get to be a harvester. I get to share good news. I get to tell people who are tired, just like I was, that God is ruling and reigning and desires for you to be able to experience abundant living. I'm wondering, I'm wondering what 2016 might look like if each one of us would come to Jesus more and more. Let's pray. Father, I, I am just so grateful that your plan involved a relationship with you. You know, Lord, it didn't take me long to realize that I can mess my life up pretty, pretty quickly without you. And that I'm not as smart as I need to be. And I don't have the right energy. And all the things that I think give me life are so short and so temporary. Lord, thank you for being our king. Thank you for wanting to be yoked together. Thank you, Father, for I guess an opportunity as we look back that we can have few regrets because we just plain we're yoked with you. We just want to spend time with you. This is good news. Because some of our hills are really tall and some of our valleys are really low. And, and life is scary. But God, it's not scary with you. God, I got to be honest. There's things I don't like some of the places you take me. And I don't want to go some of the places that you're directing but God, I, I want the promised land. I want abundant life. I, I don't want the desert. I want you. So God, would, would you be patient with us as a chapel Palatine? Would you draw us to yourself? And would we look a whole lot different in 2016? because of who we're yoked with. In Jesus' name, amen.